I'm going to ask that you turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter uh, this morning. 1 Peter, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, and uh, we're beginning a new series, a series as you've seen in the video that was just shown, one that's a bit somber, one that's a bit uh, personal. Uh, we're going to be asking the Lord for help. Uh, according to the Mental Health America website, uh, the mental and emotional struggles of Americans is skyrocketing. And that is true for Americans who are non-believing people and Americans who are believers in Christ and the work that Christ has done. The studies show that feelings of anxiety, depression, and all manner of internal struggles have gripped more and more Americans, and the pandemic that we have dealt with over these last months has only served to exacerbate this trend, really this crisis. As a result, more and more people are seeking out medication and counselors and anything else that will take away the anguish, the anger, the anxiety, the ap uh, apathy that plagues our society as a whole. And while God has been so gracious to give us so many ways to address these maladies, so often as Christ followers, we forget the most important or the best way to address these problems that plague us, and that is his word. Now, I love the word of God, and I've always loved the transparency of the word of God uh, when it talks about people who have been faithful those men and women that we want to emulate in our walk with God, it's amazing how the scriptures, even by many times the use of their own pen, they tell us of the internal struggles and strife and difficulty and, and anguish that they faced. Some of the most honest words ever revealed in written form are found in the pages of Scripture. And what we're going to learn over these next eight weeks is that many of the things that we're bothered by, we're concerned about, the things that we struggle with are the very same things that men and women throughout the writing of the Scriptures found themselves in. And what we need to do is we need to turn to the wonderful counselor to get the help and to get the hope that is needed. And so today we open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, the whole letter of 1 Peter was written to a group of Christians who were suffering. Now, they were suffering for one key reason, and that was persecution. Uh, they were living in a very hostile world, hostile to Christianity, and they found themselves being beat up and, and knocked down for their faith. Now, what I want to talk about is the kind of suffering that doesn't happen from the outside towards us. I want to talk about the kind of suffering that comes from within, the anxiety, the anguish, the, uh, the anger that many of us face when we feel like we're at wit's end, when we feel like there's nowhere else to turn. And I, what I want to do is take this passage that speaks about suffering under persecution and look at it as a remedy for all suffering. And let's face it, when you're suffering, and really any kind of suffering, it's all the same. You've got a pain, you've got a struggle, you've got a setback, and you need something to address it. And so while this text is written for persecution, I think there is much truth that can be gleaned with our own internal struggles as Christians. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to start in the middle of verse 5, and we're going to go through verse 10. And then I want to glean a handful of truths from this 
that I hope will help us to be able to cry out to our God when struggles come. Notice what the text says. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. And show this humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. The word help is the first word that all of us utter. I saw this phenomenon three times as each of my boys were born. The first cry into the world was help. Now they didn't use those four words, but you knew what they were saying. Help, I don't know where I'm at. Help, I'm hungry. Help, I'm scared. Help, I I don't know what's going on. And let's just face it, for the first two years of life, it's all help all the time, right? They just cry, help, help, help. And then as they get older, the the help gets less and less. You get into the teenage years and you never hear that word help unless it's too late, amen? And it's already cost too much money. But let's face it, as we get older... We cry that out less and less. There's something in our culture that says adults, mature people, they don't ask for help. They don't ask for someone to come along them when struggles come. But Peter says, as Christ followers, crying out help is exactly what we need to do. As countercultural as that may be, if we want to be a vibrant and healthy follower of Jesus Christ, we must get into the habit of crying out for help. And let's face it, the reason why crying out for help should be part and parcel of the Christian faith is that's how we get into the Christian faith. We know that without Christ as Christians, we are lost. And so the first words we utter as a new Christian is help. Jesus, help me. I'm a sinner in need of salvation. And so why wouldn't we stop at the first moments of salvation and then through this process that we call sanctification, living the life as a Christian, would we become so averse to crying out for help each and every day, even though we know because the Bible tells us so, that we need him or we're going to be lost. So how do we get into this practice of crying out for help to our God and let's face it to others? The Apostle Peter gives us some truths. The first thing we need to do, if we want to be able to cry out for help, because this is the first step to getting help. We will never get help if we never ask for help. 
And the first thing we need to do is we need to be surrendering our status. Write that down. We need to surrender our status. Notice in the text, Peter gives this recurring theme, starting in the end of verse 5. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with, number one, humility. He wants you to show it towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to, notice number two, the humble. Notice verse six. Number three, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you. Three times in one and a half verses, Peter says, I want you to understand humility. And what is this humility? In the Greek, and now I understand in the English, we, we get this idea of humility uh, as being just pushing yourself down. That is not what humility is. To the Greeks, humility was a two-way street. Humility literally means to bring back to ground level, to bring back to ground level. And it has a two-sided approach to it. Now, the one we talk about all the time is what I want to call bringing you back from the penthouse back down to ground level. Uh, This is that we have an elevated view of ourselves. We're arrogant about who we are. And what we're being told is we need to come from the top floor back down to where we really should be, and that's the lobby. Now, we know this, okay, to think uh, not less of ourselves, but to think of ourselves less, to go from where we think we are elevated down to where we really are, where God sees us. But there's a second element that we don't think about, and that is humility is to bring us to ground level. But wait a minute, some of us have what we call a false sense of humility, and really what it is is it's a deflated or a lowered view of ourselves. And so what humility does is humility drives you to ground level. Do you see that? Have you ever thought about humility that way? We always think, well, it's bringing people from the penthouse down. But some of us need to be brought from the basement up. Because some of us are believing things about ourselves. We're thinking things about ourselves that are altogether untrue. And we're living in bondage to those things. And what Paul, uh, sorry, Peter says is, I want to bring you to where you're at. Humility, here is it, it is. Humility is the level by which God sees you. Not how you see yourself. And usually we see ourselves either higher or lower of where God wants us. We sometimes will define ourselves as how do other people see us, higher or lower. And humility says, I want to think about myself as God sees me. So it brings us to ground level. Now, a couple truths that the author here, Peter, wants us to know about it. First of all, this idea of humility is written as Peter pens this. He pens it in what English teachers call the aorist imperative. What that means is, what he's saying is this, You need to be humble now, not tomorrow, not next week. Don't put this on the New Year's resolution for 2022. This needs to be addressed now. Get humble right now. Now, right away, you're like, okay, I got to get humble. And so what do I got to do to get humble? And we think of all these lists of things we need to do. But Peter writes this in what is called the passive voice. And what that means is is you and I can't get humble on our own. 
We need someone to bring humility to us. Notice he speaks of this when he says at the end of verse 5, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Literally, he gives humility to those who need it. And so what you and I need to do is not try to figure out how to be humble in our own, for that would be arrogant in and of itself. We need to say to the Lord, Lord, I need something that I can't get on my own. I need you to bring me humility. I need you to bring me back to ground level, whether I'm in the basement or I'm in the penthouse. I need you to be the elevator operator in my life to bring me back to ground level. For some of us, one of the reasons why we cannot get help from the many maladies that we face in this world, is we are trying to do it on our own. And until we give those things to God, until we humble ourselves, because a humble individual says this, I have issues, I have struggles because I'm a human being. Like every other human being, I'm not better than everybody else. I'm not worse than anybody else. But a part of the human condition, the Bible says, in this world, you will have struggles. You'll have spiritual struggles. You'll have physical struggles. You'll have mental and emotional struggles. And we have these struggles amidst sin that's all around us. And so we have these issues. Ground level says, I'm going to have struggles. The most faithful individuals had struggles. The most sinful of individuals had struggles because the human condition has troubles. It has struggles. It has suffering. And so, God, I know I have struggles. You know I have struggles. Now I need you to keep me here because I'm going to need to ask you something. Humility recognizes that the only answer to our struggles and setbacks and difficulties is someone else to take care of them. And so notice what he says. The only way you can do what is said in verse 7 is that you have humility. So notice verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You will never cast your anxieties on God, your concerns, your struggles, your setbacks onto God if you aren't humble. A person at ground level recognizes I am lost without God and so I'm going to throw my concerns to him because he cares for me. But notice the truth that the reason why we can cast our cares on him because he has the mighty hand that can address it. The reason why is when we humble ourselves, we see that we're not as big as we thought we were, but God is. Or if we're in the basement, we don't think our problems are so big that God can't handle them. Peter says God can take care of him. In fact, he invites us to throw our anxieties to him. Now this word cast is an important one. When we hear the word cast, we think of a fisherman who's got a rod and a a string, and, and he takes it and he casts out the line to catch a fish. And there's nothing really altogether big with that. It's just a snap of the wrist. We cast our cares. And many of you do the fisherman casting of cares. And what they really are are these little things, the little concerns. Okay, God, here's the little things that you can address, the minute little details of my life. I'll give you those. But what the author here, Peter, says, 
is that this idea of casting is far more. When he says casting, he recognizes this is a fisherman's term. Peter was a fisherman. And to cast meant what he did. He would take nets that had rocks all attached to them. And so they were heavy things. It would take all of who you were to take the nets and to pick them up and cast them into the water. Then the rocks would then go into the water, go down to the bottom, and they would have a string where they'd pull up the fish. They would capture or harvest all these fish. This is the casting that Peter's talking about. Now notice also that the use of this word is used in the Gospels, to cast something. And it's around Palm Sunday. Jesus tells the disciples, I want you to go into a village. I want you to acquire uh, a donkey that I'm going to use. Tell them we'll bring it back. And as they bring the donkey to Jesus, as the disciples took their cloaks and they cast their cloaks onto the donkey. That is, they took what was on them. This is so important. What was on them and they put it on another. This is what God says about our struggles about our setbacks, about our issues, about whatever is plaguing us today. You want help? The first line of defense that God gives and His help to you is He invites you. I want you to throw, I want you to hurl your problems, your situations, your difficulties onto me because I care about you. Now let me give you a modern illustration of this. Every Monday at the Badal House, a guy comes by our uh, driveway, and he comes in a big green truck, and he takes that, all that we've put out on the curb, and he hurls it into his truck. And I am very thankful for the job that he does. And as I watch him do that, and as you watch your garbage man do what he does, I want you to remember two truths. Your problems and struggles are like garbage. We can hold on to them for a little while, but in a Chicago summer, how long do you want your garbage to stay around, right? It gets smelly. It gets all manner of gross. Can I tell you, the longer you hold on to your problems, listen to me, the more your problems will be created. And so what God is saying is, I want you to give to me your problems. I will dispense of your problems in the proper place because the worst thing you can do is hold on to the problems you have. Listen, hold on to your garbage for a week. Say, you know what? When the garbage truck driver goes by, hey, good to see you. No garbage this week. And I want you to look at the bottom of your garbage can two weeks from now. You're going to see maggots. You're going to smell stuff that you couldn't even imagine. And I want you to remember in that moment, that is what is going on in your life when you hold on to your problems instead of giving it to God. Talk about a beautiful picture on a Sunday morning. But some of us right now, listen to me, are holding on to your stuff and not giving it to God, and you've got not only the problem that you had, but now you've got all the smells around it, all the maggots, and all the garbage that comes with holding on to the stuff of life when you shouldn't. God is the divine dealer of our stuff, and he knows where to take it and where to address it, and he says, listen to me, cast it onto me, hurl it, 
throw it. Don't hold on to it. You give it to me. Some of us, our problems are far bigger, not because the circumstances are big, but because we have compounded the problem by holding on to it. And by God's grace, he says, I care for you. Give them to me. I'm strong enough. I'm equipped enough to address all that concerns you and I today. Now, in order to do that, notice we have to trust his timing. We have to trust his timing. Notice he says in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, you should underline that, at the proper time, he may exalt you. On Sunday night, the Badals are in a fury of feverish activity, getting all the garbage that needs to get out onto the curb. Why? Because I'm not a morning person, and Mr. Garbage Man comes awful early in the morning, and I don't want to miss it. Because at a proper time, he's going to come, and he's going to address it. God says, if you're going to give me your problems... You need to trust that I will address your problems at the right time. Now, this is so hard to do because what we do is we cast our concerns on him with a caveat. God, here's my concerns. If you can have them addressed by Monday at 7 a.m., that would be great. And some of you right now are putting timelines. God, I'll deal with this problem for a short period of time, but but I need you to address it. Notice he says he will address it at the proper time. I want you to know, when it comes to God and time, listen very carefully. God never does things on your time. He always does it on his time. And his time, listen to me, is always longer than your time is. Peter tells us this. For God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And so what does that mean for us as we suffer, as we cry out for help? Just because you cry out for help today doesn't mean your problem will be gone tomorrow. In fact, notice what he says in the text later. After you have suffered a little while, And what he does, and this is what I love about Peter, he then tells you what does a little while look like. He says, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory. So a little while is in comparison to eternity. A little while isn't in comparison to days or weeks or months or years or even decades. A little while is in response to the infinity of eternity. And so what we need to recognize is is God's timing, listen, may mean that our problem doesn't leave us tomorrow, next month, next year, next decade. We may have this problem for all of our lives. And one of the reasons why God allows for suffering is so that eternity will be so much sweeter. And so maybe this is going to teach you how great eternity is going to be. 
where there will be a place of no more crying or pain or sorrow, that the old will be gone and the new has come. Maybe it is to uh, the reason why he wants you to have your setback or your struggle for all of your life is he wants you to draw closer to him. Maybe he's worried. God's not worried, but maybe he's concerned with the fact that if there wasn't a struggle in your life, pride and arrogance would be running you amok. And so God has brought you back down to ground level so that you would be defined by his terms and not your own. Maybe God's allowed suffering because that's just what he's allowed. And so what God has done is notice he gives you grace. He gives you grace if you humble yourself and notice at the proper time, notice what it says, he will exalt you. Remember the elevator illustration? He wants to bring you down to ground level so that a time in the future, he will exalt you. He will lift you up. But that's in his time and in his way and according to his standards. So we've got to trust. We've got to trust, Lord. I don't know when you're going to do it, but I need your help. And whenever your help comes, I'm going to be positioned and ready to receive it. Now, the storm clouds come. Because you could stop at verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let's close in a word of prayer. That's nice. But he says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. As if you and I needed any more problems. We've got our struggles. We've got our issues. We've got all of these anxieties and anguish in this world. These troubles we have to deal with. And now it's compounded by an enemy, an adversary. The idea here, that word adversary, literally is one who prosecutes against you. And so what's happening is here you are. You're dealing with your struggles. You're dealing with your issues. And now you have someone who is mocking and ridiculing you and bringing your problems up at the worst times. So you know you've got problems. You know you've got anxieties and issues. You know them. And then you've got someone that's sitting there going, well, a Christian shouldn't have those things. If you really were the Christian that you think you are, and you wouldn't have anger. You wouldn't be at wit's end. You wouldn't deal with anxiety. What kind of Christian are you? And it's this ongoing ridiculing with accusation. So he's pointing out your flaws, your struggle, and he's responding with ridicule and mocking. How in the world could you be dealing with this stuff? You're a joke. Now, notice that What's going on is this adversary is presently doing it. Notice what he says. He prowls. That's a present term. He's going about and he's roaring like a lion. And so what's going on is he's walking around so his presence should scare you or his ridicule, his mocking. So he uses this imagery of the lion. Maybe you don't see the lion, but you hear the lion, and both are fearful sights. And so the author says we've got to 
brace for the battle. How do we do that? How do we deal with this adversary, this enemy, who's roaring roaring about, seeking someone to devour, literally to gulp up? Maybe today you feel devoured. Maybe you feel gulped up by the devil and by the circumstances of life. Notice what the the Bible says. We need to be sober-minded and we need to be watchful. The idea here is, is we've got to brace for battle. And bracing for battle means I got to start with my mind. So the mind, remember, is gauged by humility. So I'm brought back down to ground level. I want you to say, maybe I didn't say this already, but ground level is where God defines you. Not where the world defines you, not where you define yourself. Ground level is where God sees you and where the truths about you that God has declared are at. That's where the lobby is. So sober-mindedness says, I am going to see myself. I am going to see my struggles. I am going to see my setbacks as God sees them. And so here's what happens. You who struggle with anguish or anger or anxiety, you find yourself at wit's end. You find yourself apathetic to a life. You're depressed. God says, let me tell you about who you are. You're my child. You were bought with a price. I loved you, and I called you into a relationship with myself. And I have given you my son, and I've given you my Holy Spirit. And because of that, I will protect you. I will care for you. I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will do all of this according to my promises. Not because you in and of yourself are great or awesome, but because I love you and I've put my affection upon you. Therefore, whatever you face, whatever you struggle with, will never devour you, will never take you captive, because whatever weapon is formed against you shall not prosper, because you, as a Christ follower, are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. No matter what you deal with, ground level reminds you, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Jesus, which enables us, whatever our struggles are, to consider it all the more joy when we experience hardships and trials of many kinds. And so ground level is where God's at. And if we would be willing to brace ourselves for battle, we'll get close to God and notice what it says. We will be watchful, we'll be sober-minded, and notice in verse 9, the way we resist them is being firm in our faith. So our faith in God and what he has done is going to get us through the storm. Now, he then addresses in verse, end of verse 9, a truth we can never forget. And that is we're not the only ones in this fight. We're not the only ones with struggles. One of the ways the devil beats us up is telling us we're the only one dealing with this. We're the only one who's anxious. We're the only one who's sinking deeper and deeper into depression. We're the only ones who lose our anger and allow all manner of sins to come as a result. But notice what the text tells us. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood all throughout the world. 
That's why every believer needs help. We need a Savior. But in order to do this, we've got to finally carry out our calling. Notice after the dark storm clouds of the devil and his attacks in verses 8 and 9, the sun rises in verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, literally multifaceted grace, the grace we need, the multi-purpose grace of God will minister to you. Now notice what he says, who has called you. God has called you amidst your setbacks. God has called you amidst your dysfunctions. God has called you amidst your anxieties. God has called you amidst your adversity. He's called you and he's called me. And so what he wants you to know, I don't have enough time to dig into this, but let me give you four truths from verse 10 and 11 that I want you to walk away from. Number one, your suffering is temporal. After you have suffered a little while, all suffering is going to come to an end. And it may seem long to you, but God says it's going to be a little while. And then notice the second truth. While our suffering is temporal, God's glory is eternal. That means what he wants to do and how he wants to do it is going to be done in his time and in his way, and it's done in Christ Jesus. Our position is unshakable. Amidst our struggles, amidst our difficulties, notice that Christ himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Those four words mean whatever you're dealing with, God has it covered. He's got it taken care of. You are unshakable in your position. Why? Verse 11, because his dominion is forever and ever. The final truth, God's reign is unstoppable. And so whatever you find yourself suffering with today, as difficult as it is, as heartbreaking as it may be, God's there. And listen to me, so very important. God's got it covered. And more importantly, God's got you covered. So rest in that truth. And in the meantime, between now and the day where all issues, all struggles, all pains, all sorrows, all struggles are gone, Between now and then, what do we do? We cry out to our God and we ask him for help. And he says, when we throw those concerns and those fears and those anxieties to him, he'll take them because he cares for us. Now, as we move to a time of communion, communion reminds us that he's already addressed our biggest need for help, our salvation. And so every month we take time in our church service and we remember the help that Jesus brought us in our salvation. And here's the truth. Our sin was the greatest problem that we've ever faced, a problem that we could never address on our own. But Jesus took care of it and he addressed it. 
And he gave us what we couldn't get on our own, the help and the rescue that we needed. So if God could take care of our salvation, how much more can he take care of the momentary struggles that we find ourselves facing today? So here's what I want you to do as we prepare for communion. I want you to take a couple moments, and I want you to thank the Lord that, first of all, he saved you. Because we needed help, and he has addressed that by being our help in times of storm. But what struggle, what issue beyond your sin are you needing some help with today? And say, Lord, just as you addressed my sin, would you address this knowing that his timing may be different than ours, but that he longs for you to cast those concerns onto him because he cares for you.